0: I want to talk to you about the book of Hebrews. I just finished the book of Romans. I did that book of Romans survey. Most of you may remember that. Of all the books in the New Testament, I would say the book of Romans, and the book of Hebrews are pivotal books. And I'm going to tell you why. But the book of Romans, do I have something going on back there? Oh yeah, look at that nice. Uh, I'm not going to that for a minute. Um, most of you know, most of you've been in my class a while, you know, we've we've gone over this timeline over and over and over again. The timeline of the Bible is so so important to have a good grip on so that when you read the Bible you understand where the book fits in. Example, the gospels, the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John tell four, well the first three tell uh, science, stories about the life of Christ that are parallel to each other. It's like looking at a diamond from three different angles. They look. Matthew looks at Christ this way, Mark looks at him this way, and Luke looks at him this way, but it's the same diamond, same Christ, but from different angles. John actually takes a completely different approach and, and, and combines the whole thing. About 90-some percent of what's in John is not found in those other three Gospels. Those other three Gospels share a lot of information, but the John does not. He steps away, and just a little bit of what's in John is also in them. But it, all four of them talk about Jesus and his life and his ministry, his, his persecution, his rejection of Israel, and eventual crucifixion and resurrection. And so if you want to know about Jesus, you've got to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's important to know that when you begin to read the book. It'll help you. Well, then, you know, you know, you hit the book of Acts, that's the church, that's a bridge book. The book of Acts bridges uh, what happened after Jesus ascended. Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, is an ascension verse. You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you see him go into heaven. So they, they, Jesus goes up into heaven then, and they, they meet. They're to stay in Jerusalem until they're endued or empowered by the Holy Ghost. Uh, That happens in the upper room with about 120 people. Then Peter goes out and preaches. Many people get saved. Peter Peter was not a trained preacher. He was a fisherman. Uh, It shows you who's in power in this whole thing. It's not about the the vessel. It's about the the God of the vessel. And so everybody can do whatever God wants them to do because he'll empower them to do it. We've got no problem. You can't talk. God will help you you can't explain stuff, God will help you. God will use more through somebody stuttering than somebody with perfect grammar. If the one stuttering has the power of the Holy Spirit. I've actually witnessed it myself. An old boy came down here from Kentucky, and he slaughtered a king's English. I've told that over and over. He did one of the best sermons I've, I've heard in my life. I remember it all these years. God was there that day. So we have, we have the book of Acts. Then we, then we start in the book of Romans, which I went over, that book of Romans, Book of Romans is the is the is the headstone of of everything that comes under it. So the Book of Romans talks about the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? How what are the start? Of it? Well, how did the world get in the shape of sin? How do we get? So the world's guilty before God. I'm not going to go through the whole outline of Romans. So Romans basically uh, is is the best book in the whole Bible, New Testament especially that explains uh, the meaning of the gospel, why the gospel was presented, why it was needed. And then what it does for the born again Christian, and then it deals with the history of what's happening to Israel, and then how, and then in the last latter chapters of the Book of Romans, it's an application of what you just studied on real life. This is how you apply this stuff in treating each other, and the people around you. And then we have, uh, of course, you know, you go first through first grade, and second grade, all the way down to the Book of Jude. There's 22 books in that section. The book, really book from Acts to Jude is 22 books of the New Testament. Now, what do those really say? They teach you how to live the Christian life. And that's a question we ought to have. Everybody, how do you live this Christian life? What, what does God expect of us? What, how do we do this? Well, you have to read the books of Acts through the book of Jude. They'll tell you. They will specifically give you all kinds. and There's over, I've identified over 127 individual commands in the New Testament. Uh, when, when God says that they that keep my commandments, it says basically they that pay attention to my word, right? What's our sign say back here? I think do we have it covered, and yeah, we got it covered. Uh, it's uh, Luke eleven twenty-eight, right? Not a blessing to them that, that even read or hear the Bible; bless them that actually do it. And that was so. So it's the commandments. So you know, it's good to know the commandments, but Jesus says not good enough. You got to do the commandments. So there are many commandments in the New Testament. Those are found. Mainly in the, now there are some, of course, in, in the Gospels, you know, Jesus' words and stuff, but mostly for the church, the book of Acts through the book of Jude. And then the last book, Revelation, uh, you know, uh, is just a book how this whole thing's going to end. There's only one book. So we have 22 books of how to live the Christian life, four books of who Jesus is as 26, and one book of how it's all going to end. That's 27 books of the New Testament put together there, and that helps you. Let me. Um, let me go let me read. I want to read this because this is so well done that I want to read you the purpose for Hebrews. This is found in uh, the books in the book written by a guy by the name of Hebert on page 89 and Wycliffe on page 1405. You know that's a big book, amen. Okay, well I, I put that together. I read those and I I did a summation of, of the purpose of Hebrews from them. And I, I read it because I, it's a quote and I want to make sure I get it right. The main purpose for Hebrews is to give warning and encouragement. So those two things, warning and encouragement. You want to keep that in mind. Now, people, Have you heard the statement that Hebrews is a hard book to learn? Have you ever heard that? <clears throat> you ever, anybody in here ever heard that Hebrews is, is a hard book to learn? You, you learn? Anybody else? I got to engage you, brother. Okay, so the main purpose is warning and encouragement to these Christians who have been who have not striven to blood against sin, which is a quote out of the book, yet who possibly would. The author wanted to keep them from drifting away from the things they had heard, that's chapter 2, verse 1, to guard them from an evil heart of unbelief and falling away from the living God, that's chapter 3, verse 12, to arouse them out of their dullness of hearing, chapter 5, verse 11, To encourage them to retain their boldness and patience unto the very end, that's chapter 10, verse 35, 36. To accomplish these things, the author uh, gives some of the most solemn warnings in Scripture. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 4 through 8. Chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. Chapter 12, verse 14 through 29. Nowhere. Nowhere. Except maybe you could say the exception of Peter, are there stronger warnings in any book of the Bible to those who disobey? Obviously, another purpose of the book is to give solid instruction as, a, as, uh, as to who the intercessor is, the creator, the priest, the father, uh, the offering and the testator is, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose is not, of this book is not mysterious or mind-boggling, as some would want to say, but forthright and basic. Uh, we today need exactly what this book delivers, the perfect balance between instruction, encouragement, and warning. So I hope that helps some, and when you summarize some of that. Um, I'm just going through, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff because of time. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I want to do this. This is the, um, just some, some tidbits about the book of Hebrews in in a general. Remember, we're just doing kind of an introduction here. The Greek language of the book is the most complex Greek language of any book in the New Testament. There are whole paragraphs in the book of Hebrews that are one sentence. If you know English, that's not easy to do. Whole paragraphs are one sentence. That is not easy to do. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was a master of the Greek language. Now, that brings some to believe that it could have been a person in the Bible, Apollos. Um, it could have been him, because he was he was mighty in the scriptures, the Bible said. And maybe that was him. Some believe it was Paul, the apostle, which was a Pharisee and and mighty in language also, uh, would have been highly at most the most highly educated of all of the apostles, of the twelve apostles, would have been Paul. So, there are 157 new and unique words found only in the book of Hebrews. Now, I don't know if you like this kind of statistics, uh, but I do, and that's why I put it out there. I just like these little tidbits. 157 new and, uh, and uh, unique words, in other words, not found anywhere else in any other book. Peter also. Now, we got the writer of the book of Hebrews on this end, highly educated. Uh, a master of the language, like like Shakespeare would have been a master of English, and then you got Peter. He's a Kentucky boy that never went to school and never learned much. Probably didn't. I don't know if he was born. I suppose he knew to read, but his Greek is some of. He actually created words. He just made words up. Because the Greek, you have your root, prefix, and suffix. You've got a root word, then you can add a prefix to it, make it something else, a suffix to it, make it something else. You can do prefix, suffix, in the Greek. That's why doctors like Greek, because it's such, a, such an absolutely descriptive language. It's very, very detailed in description. That's why God used it. The Koine, or what they call common Greek. And so you go to Peter, and you can tell you've got a very uneducated... <coughs> Greek is not his main language... Is not what he normally talks, but he's God's putting has him write it. And yet God uses both kinds of people. There's hope for us, amen. So what's that teach us? There's hope for educated, uneducated, uh sophisticated, unsophisticated, the, the Greek or the barbarian, God'll use you if you give yourself to Jesus, amen. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God. God wants to use us, where whatever we have. So Here's some famous quotes, at least famous to me, famous quotes of the book of Hebrews. It is is called the most elegant Greek in the New Testament, which I just said. No other book in the New Testament breathes more deeply of the Spirit of God, no more clearly authenticates its own inspiration than Hebrews. Uh, If you want to say, is this book inspired? And you get done reading Hebrews, you say, God inspired that book. Hebrews begins like an essay, proceeds like a sermon, and ends like a letter. Hebrews is not an epistle, but a religious tract. The fifth thing is, Hebrews is art literature. It has been said that Hebrews is the least known of all the New Testament epistles. I'm not going to ask for a survey in here, but in your mind, of all the books in the New Testament, is that true with you, that Hebrews seems to be the least understood and known book of the New Testament. hope not. Uh, in Number seven, if Romans reveals the necessity of the Christian faith, Hebrews reveals the superiority of the Christian faith. Hebrews is a book of new things. Only Hebrews discusses Melchizedek. Some aspects of Moses' life we would not know about if it wouldn't be for Hebrews. The patriarchs, you wouldn't know a lot about them without Hebrews. Faith, it says some things about faith we would not know without the book of Hebrews. Repentance, forgiveness, deliberate sin. What, what happens about deliberate sin? You wouldn't know about that without the book of Hebrews. Intercessory aspect of Christ in detail. Nowhere else is it described like in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews brings together the New and the Old Testaments in the, in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews could be said to be the logical, logical extension of John chapter 17. Now what's John chapter 17? It's the high priestly prayer. The most intricate view, the personal, intimate view that we have of, of the Father and the Son is in John chapter 17. When we're allowed to come in and listen to, to a conversation, a prayer between Jesus and His Father. Nowhere else in the Bible do we understand the relationship like we have there in the, in John chapter 17, and that maybe will interest you to go back and reread 17 a few times. No other New Testament epistle so clearly answers the, the why of the sacrifices of Christ and, and explains. If I may say, well, let me say this, no other New Testament epistle links the twofold ministry of Christ as the eternal Son of God and the suffering Son of God. Those two things almost seem to be, in fact, the, um, the people, the, the Hebrew, the Jews, the Masoretic scribes and such, those who, the Pharisees, were, were, were confused about those two things. The coming line of the tribe of Judah, the Son of God, the conqueror, and this Christ who was coming that was the suffering Lamb of God that wouldn't hurt or break a reed. Uh, he, he did not lift up his voice. Uh, he did not resist uh, being beaten and all these other things. He just took it like a lamb takes it quietly. We're going to have a good time in this book. I'm not going to die in the book. You don't have to worry about that. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.